Dear boys and girls, welcome to our third episode of our story podcast for the King of Ireland's son. Now, we've been listening to stories on the podcast once a week, and we've also been listening to stories in person once a week. Just yesterday, we heard a really short chapter about what's been going on with the King of Ireland's son and the tasks that he needs to complete in order to be able to marry Fidelma, the enchanter of the Black Backlands daughter. So it seems like the King of Ireland's son keeps getting tricked. Each night when he is in the water tank awaiting Fidelma to come and give him a warm place to sleep and give him some food to eat, Instead, he keeps getting visited by other animals that trick him into meeting with Fidelma's other sisters and an evil witch. And funnily enough, they all seemed to think, or they all really seemed to pretend to want to help the King of Ireland's son in exchange for his hand in marriage. But each time the King of Ireland's son insists that he really wants to wed Fidelma instead. In fact, the last we heard, there was a bird that led him all the way to Fidelma's sister's tower. And even though she was supposed to be the youngest of the three sisters and the kindest, she ended up getting very upset when the King of Ireland's son said that he wanted to marry her sister instead. And remember that everything in the room started to attack the King of Ireland's son. I think it was a watch and a bench and even the door hit him on the way out, which was pretty funny. So we are left now with the King of Ireland's son having to complete the third and final task. So let's hear about whether or not he's able to do that and what that task is. The king's son looked down, and he could not see the bottom, so deep the well was. At the bottom, said the enchanter, is the ring of youth. You must get it and bring it to me, or else you must lose your head at the setting of that sun. That was all he said. He turned then, and he walked away. The king's son looked into the well, and he saw no way of getting down its deep, smooth sides. He walked back toward the castle. On his way, he met Fidelma, and she looked at him with deep dread in her eyes. What task did my father set to you today? She said. He bids me to go down into a well, said the king's son. A well, said Fidelma, and she became all dread. I have to take the ring of youth from the bottom and bring it to him, said the king's son. Oh, said Fidelma, he has set you the task I dreaded. Then she said, you will lose your life if the ring of youth is not taken out of the well. And if you lose yours, I shall lose mine too. There is one way to get down the sides of the well, but you must kill me. Take my bones and make them as steps while you go down the sides. 
Then when you have taken the ring of youth out of the water, put my bones as they were before and put the ring above my heart. I shall be alive again, but you must be careful that you leave every bone as it was. Well, the king's son fell into a deeper dread than Fidelma when he heard what she said. This could never be, he cried. It must be, said Fidelma. And by all your vows and promises, I command you to do it. Kill me now and do as I have bidden you. If it be done, I shall live. But if it not be done, you will lose your life, and I will never regain mine. He killed her. He took her bones as she bid him, and he made steps down the side of that well. He searched and searched and searched at the bottom, until at last he found the ring of youth. He brought the bones together again. Down on his knees he went, and his heart did not beat, nor did his breath come or go, until he had fixed them in their right place. Over the heart he placed the ring, and life came back to Fidelma. You have done well, she said. One thing only is not in its place, the joint of my little finger. She held up her hand, and he saw that her little finger was bent. I have helped you in everything, said Fidelma, and in the last task I could not have helped you if you had not been true to me when Aoife and Gelvin brought you to them. Now there are three tasks done, and you can ask my father for one of his daughters in marriage. When you bring him the ring of youth, he will ask you to make a choice. I pray that the one chosen will be myself. None other will I have but you, Fidelma, love of my heart, said the King of Ireland's son. The King of Ireland's son went back into the house before the setting of the sun and the enchanter of the black back lands was seated on his chair of gold. Have you brought me the ring of youth? He asked. I have brought it, said the king of Ireland's son. Give it to me then. I will not, said the king's son, until you give what you promised me at the end of my tasks, one of your three daughters for my wife. The enchanter brought him to a closed door. My three daughters are within this room, he said, put your hand through the hole in the door, and the one whose hand you hold when I open it, it is she you will have to marry. Then wasn't the mind of the king's son greatly troubled, for if he held the hand of Aoife or Gilveen, he would lose his love, Fidelma. He stood at the door without putting out his hand. Go ahead, put your hand through the hole of the door, or go away from my house altogether said the enchanter of the blackback lands. The king of Ireland's son ventured to put his hand through the hole in the door. The hands of the maidens inside were all held in a bunch, but no sooner did he touch them than he found that one had a broken finger. This he knew was Fidelma's hand, and this was the hand he held. You may open the door now, he said to the enchanter. He opened the door, and the king of Ireland's son drew Fidelma to him. This is the maiden I choose, he said, and now give her her dowry. The dowry that should go with me, said Fidelma, 
is the slight red steed. What dowry do you want with her, young man? said the enchanter. No other dowry but the slight red steed. Go round the stable and get it then, and I hope no well-trained wizard like you will come this way again. No well-trained wizard am I, but the king of Ireland's son, and I have found your dwelling place within a year and a day, and now I pluck the three hairs out of your beard, enchanter of the black back lands. The beard of the enchanter bristled like spikes on a hedgehog, and the balls of his eyes stuck out of his head. The king's son plucked the three hairs of his beard before he could lift a hand or say a word. Mount the slight red steed and be off, the two of you, said the enchanter. The king of Ireland's son and Fidelma mounted the slight red steed and rode off. And the enchanter of the blackback lands and his two daughters, Aetha and Gilveen, in a rage watched them ride away. Fidelma and the king of Ireland's son crossed the river of the ox and went over the mountain of the fox and were in the glen of the badger before the sun rose. And there at the foot of the hill of horns, they found an old man gathering dew from the grass. Could you tell us where we might find the little sage of the mountain? Fidelma asked the old man. Why, I am the little sage of the mountain, he said. And what is it you want of me? To betroth us for marriage, said Fidelma. Well, I will do that. Come to my house, the pair of you. And as you are both young and better able to walk than I am, it would be fitting to let me ride on your horse. The king of Ireland's son and Fidelma got off, and the little sage of the mountain got on the slate red steed. They took the path that went round the hill of horns, and on the other side of the hill they found a hut thatched with one great wing of a bird. The little sage got off the slight red steed. Now, he said, you're both young and I am an old man, and it would be fitting for you to do my day's work before you call upon me to do anything for you. Now, would you, and he said to the king of Ireland's son, take this spade in your hand and go into the garden and dig my potatoes for me. And would you, he said to Fidelma, Sit down at the cornstone and grind the wheat for me. The king of Ireland's son went into the garden and Fidelma sat at the cornstone that was just outside the door. He dug and she ground while the little sage sat at the fire looking into a big book. And when Fidelma and the king's son were tired with their labor, he gave them a drink of buttermilk. Fidelma made cakes out of the wheat she had ground, and the king's son washed the potatoes, and the little sage boiled them, and so they made their supper. Then the little sage of the mountain melted lead and made two rings, and one ring he gave to Fidelma to give to the king's son, and one he gave to the king's son to give to Fidelma. And when the rings were given, he said, You are betrothed for your marriage now. They stayed with the little sage of the mountain that night, and when the sun rose, they left the house that was thatched with the great wing of a bird, and they turned toward the meadow of brightness and the wood of shadows that were between them and the king of Ireland's domain. They rode on the slate red steed, and the little sage of the mountain went with them part of the way. 
He seemed downcast, and when they asked him the reason, he said, I see dividing ways and far journeys for you both. But how can that be? said the king's son. It may be that I am wrong, said the little sage. And if I am not, remember that devotion brings together dividing ways, and that high hearts win to the end of every journey. He bade them goodbye then, and turned back to his hut that was thatched with the great wing of a bird. They rode across the meadow of brightness, and Fidelma's blue falcon sailed high above them. Yonder is a field of white flowers, she said, and while we are crossing, if you must, please tell me a story. I know one by heart, said the king's son. Only the stories that Moravon, my father's counselor, has put into the book he is composing, and that book is called The Breastplate of Instruction. Well then, said Fidelma, tell me a story from the breastplate of instruction while we are crossing this field of white flowers. I will tell you the first story that is in it, said the king's son. Then, while they were crossing the field of white flowers, the king's son told Fidelma the story of the burrow and the seal. A seal that had spent a curious forenoon paddling around the island of Ilambogeth drew itself up on a rock, the better to carry on its investigations. It was now within five yards of an actual island. On the little beach there were three curas in which the island men went over the sea. They were turned bottom up and heavy stones were placed upon them to prevent their being carried away by the high winds. The seal noted them as he rested upon the flat rock. He noted, too, a little donkey that was standing beyond the curves, sheltering himself where the cliffs hollowed in. Now this donkey was as curious as the seal, and when he saw the smooth creature that was moving its head about with such intelligence, the donkey came down to the water's edge. Two of his legs were spancelled with a piece of straw rope, but being used to such impediments, he came over without any awkwardness. He looked inquiringly at the seal. The gray-headed crow of the cliff lidded on a spar of rock and made herself an interpreter between the two friends. Shaggy beast of the island, said the seal, friend and follower of men, tell me about their fabulous existence. Do you mean the hay-getters? said the donkey. You know well whom he means, said the gray-headed crow viciously. Answer him now. You gravel me entirely when you ask about men, said the donkey. I don't know much about them. They live to themselves and I live to myself. Their houses are full of smoke and it blinds my eyes to go in. There used to be green fields here and high grass that became hay, but there's nothing like that now. I think that these people have given up eating what grows out of the ground. I see nothing. I smell nothing but fish, fish, fish. The gray-headed crow had a vicious eye fixed on the donkey all the time he was speaking. You're saying all that, she said, because they let the little horse stay all night in the house and they beat you out of it. My friend, said the seal, 
Is it evident that people deceive you by appearances? I know people. I have followed their boats and I have listened to the wonderful sounds they make with their voices and with instruments. Do they not draw fish out of the depths by enchantments? Do they not build their habitations with music? Do they not draw the moon out of the sea and set it for a light in their houses? And is it not known that the fairest daughters of the sea have loved men? When I'm awake, long and moonlight nights, I feel like that myself, said the donkey. Then the recollections of these long frosty nights made him yawn. Then he brayed. What is it to live near men, said the sea in admiration. Oh, how wonderful it sounds. I'd cross the water and rub noses with you, said the donkey. Only I'm afraid of crocodiles. Crocodiles, said the gray-headed crow. Yeah, said the donkey. It's because I'm of a very old family, you know. They were Egyptians. My people never liked to cross the water in their own country. They were, there were crocodiles there. I don't want to waste any more time listening to this nonsense, said the gray-headed crow. So she flew to the donkey's back and plucked out some of the, her fur. I'll take this for my own habitation, she said, and flew back to the cliff. The donkey would have kicked up his heels, only two of his legs were fastened with the straw rope. So he turned away and without a word of farewell to the seal, went scrambling up the bank of the island. The seal stayed for a while, moving his head about intelligently. Then he slipped into the water and paddled off. One feels their lives in music, he said. Great tones vibrate round the island where people live. It is very wonderful. That, said the king's son, is the first story in the breastplate of instruction, the donkey and the seal. And now you must tell me a story while we are crossing the field of blue flowers. Then it will be a very little story, said Fidelma. And they crossed a little field of blue flowers and Fidelma told her own story to the king of Ireland's son. This story was called The Sending of the Crystal Egg. The king of Murius heard that King Atlas had to bear the world upon his back. So they sent him then and there the crystal egg that would be the swan of endless tales that his burden for a while might lie on his shoulder scales. Fair balanced while he heard the tales the swan poured forth. North world tales for the while he watched the star of the north. And east world tales he would hear in the morning swart and cool. When the lions Nimrod had spared came up from the drinking pool. West world tales for the king when he turned him with the sun. Then whispers of magic tales from Africa, his own. But the kings of Murias made the crane their messenger, the fitful crane whose thoughts are always frightening her. She slipped from islet to isle. She sloped from foreland to coast. She passed through cracks in the mountains and came over trees like a ghost. She passed through cracks in the mountains 
and came over trees like a ghost, and then fled back in dismay when she saw on the hollow plains the final battle between the pygmies and the cranes. Where is the crystal egg that was sent to King Atlas then? Hatched, it will be only one day, and the tales will be told to men. That is, if it be not laid in some king's old treasury. That is, if the fitful crane did not lose it, threading the sea. They were not long going through the little field of blue flowers, and when they went through it came to another field of white flowers. And Fidelma asked the king's son to tell her another story. And thereupon he told her the second story in the breastplate of instruction, which we, boys and girls, will hear next week on Wednesday. <laughs>